We're in November. November. New month, new theme. The mundane, the sacred, and the profane. Oh, my. <laughs> I love it. I love that we have such a sense of humor. Okay, so, so let's look at that for a moment, right? The mundane. Lacking interest or excitement. Dull. Of this earthly world rather than a heavenly or a spiritual one. The sacred. Connected with God or God's and dedicated to a religious purpose, and so deserving veneration. And then we have the profane, <laughs> relating or devoted to that which is not sacred, secular rather than religious, irreverent. Oh, just doesn't that hit home with us, right? Anyway, so the way they, they have them, they're almost describing them as if they are three different things, right? Instead of three aspects of one thing. And that's, that's what we know in the science of mind and spirit is that our core concept one, God is all there is. Well, if God is all there is, then the mundane is God. The sacred is God. The profane is God. There's only one thing. Spirit is everything and everything is spirit. There is nothing else. God is everything and, and it creates everything out of itself so it is imbued in everything. Everything from the stone to the plant to the animals to the human. It's all spirit investing itself in form. And it's all energy. That's all everything is, is energy. You know, like that old joke, don't ever trust atoms. You know, they make everything up. <laughs> they do. They do. They make up everything. So there is no thing that is not spirit. It's all spirit, indefinitely and infinitely and forever outpicturing itself in form. It outpictures itself in form, then it absorbs form, and it outpictures itself again and it absorbs. And here we are having free will. We are left alone to discover this truth, right? That, that we are part of this greater thing. And as we study the science of mind and spirit, we recognize it as the metaphysical teaching it is. Meta being beyond, physical meaning, physics meaning the physical, right? Beyond the physical. Ernest Holmes wrote this. He said, the simple meaning of true metaphysical teaching, it's the study of life and the nature of law, governed and directed by thought, always conscious that we live in a spiritual universe, that God is in, through, around, and for us. And what a wonderful definition that is. This is what we do, right? We study life. We study our lives, and then we practice these principles of the science of mind. We prove them to ourselves, and in doing so, we change the conditions around us. We pray, we meditate, we affirm, we vision, we expand our consciousness. This does nothing to God, right? We are expanding our consciousness. God already is universal intelligence. But we use those practices to expand our own consciousness, to take the place, right, to, to, to actually put in place in our minds the one practicing to accept a greater experience, a greater expression of consciousness so that we can align with these principles. The principles are already there. We didn't create them. We didn't make them up. They're there. We expand our consciousness in order to demonstrate that. And from that consciousness, we speak our word, we place that word in the law, which outpictures according to our most predominant thoughts and beliefs and feelings. And Ernest Holmes said that the law is no respecter of persons, right? It is, it is impersonal and infallible. 
which means it works all the time, works for everybody the exact same way. He went on to say this, the realization that good is universal and that as much good as any individual is able to incorporate into his life is his to use. This is what constitutes the science of mind and spirit. So our practice then is to increase our consciousness, to expand our consciousness of what is capable in our own lives. And then the law produces. Now, this dismisses any superstitious belief in a punishing God, or a vengeful God, or a jealous God, or an angry God, or all of those other definitions we probably all grew up listening to, hearing, and believing. Uh, you know, old man, long white beard, sitting on a cloud. Anybody? Anybody grew up with that God, right? God is, God is all there is, core concept one. God is all there is. God is good. So we have to let go of that old, outdated image of God. We just have to let it go. There will be no smiting here. I'm sad. Because, you know, sometimes you're really, but not, you know, somebody else always. <laughs> no, we are here to know the truth. We're here to know the truth. And, and I love this. Carl Sagan, allegedly, I, I couldn't cite it for sure, but Carl Sagan said, if something can be destroyed by the truth, it should be destroyed by the truth. And this is what we are doing. We are here to know truth, right? To Ernest Holmes, like, no, no dogma, no duality, no superstition. So we are here to know the truth. And actually, Carl Sagan did say this, because I could cite this quote. He said, one of the saddest lessons in history is this. We've been bamboozled long enough. We tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Which brings me to the Bible, <laughs> right? Because this is where we got a lot of the images of the angry God, the jealous God, the punishing God, right? Oh, it's beginning to rain, build an ark, that God. And I know you've heard this. God wrote it. I believe it, that's the end of it. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Lots of fundamentalism in this country, right? God wrote it, I believe it, that's the end of it. And uh, they believe in, in the inerrancy of the Bible. Absolutely, factually, perfectly true, written by God, no, no room for argument. Except, which version are you talking about? There's over 3,000 versions of the Bible in print. Originally written in Hebrew, then in Aramaic, then in Greek, then in Latin. The Bible has gone through many iterations. Books were put into it. Books were taken out of it. The Vulgate was translated into Latin. There was the Wessex Saxon Bible. Then there was the Wycliffe Bible. Then there was the Tyndale Bible. Oh, he, by the way, was executed for printing it because he printed it in English. <laughs> uh, there was the Coverdale Bible, then Matthew's Bible, then the Great Bible. Then there was the King, uh, the, uh, King Henry VIII's 
right? Um, his edition was the Great Bible. It was really a version of the Tyndale Bible. Poor guy died for it, and then they wind up using it anyway. Then the Church of England was formed. Then the King James Version came out. It was all the rage. Everybody who was anybody had the King James Version. It goes on and on. So the inerrancy of the Bible, which one? Which one? The Roman Catholic Bible has 73 books. The Protestant Bible has 66. What happened to the other books? <laughs> Where did they go? You know, Abby Hoffman said, or maybe it was Aardvark magazine, or maybe it was the bottom of the birdcage newspaper. One of them, I couldn't, I couldn't cite specifically which one, one of them said, sacred cows make the tastiest hamburger. <laughs> And I kind of agree with that. And I am not criticizing anybody else's theology. I'm saying, believe what you want. Everyone is entitled to their own cosmology. There are many paths up the mountain. But Ernest Holmes, this is the path we chose, right? I hope so, because you're here. Um, that there are many paths up the mountain. Ernest Holmes said, we are open at the top for further revelation. When you walk in that door, we don't hand you a book and say, here, memorize this, would you? because you have to believe everything in here. Ernest Holmes never said that. He said, use it, experiment with it, practice the principles, see what works for you, throw out the rest. Just throw out the rest. Hmm. And Bishop John Shelby Spong said, you can't go to church, not our church, he's talking about somebody else's. <laughs> you can't go to church without praying 10 to 15 times for God to have mercy on you. You can't sing Amazing Grace without reminding yourself the reason God's grace is amazing is because it saves a wretch like you. <laughs> this self-denigration stuff, Jesus died for my sins, was nothing but a guilt message. The thing we have got to get out from under, that's not Christianity. That's a sort of fourth century Christian teaching that got turned into doctrine and dogma that we've never been able to escape. And that's where we're stuck, right? Really, today, I mean, that's where we, where we are stuck. That is the great challenge for us today, is that there is this, this fundamentalist sort of, of teaching that the, the inerrancy of the, of the Bible, this fundamental viewpoint you know, Islam did not fly those planes into that building. Fundamentalism did, right? Christianity didn't blow up the abortion clinic and shoot and kill OBGYNs. Fundamentalism did, right? And Ernest Holmes said this. He said, we're here to be the first Christian denomination to be free from superstition, dualism, and dogma. And yes, he did believe we were a Christian uh, organization, but he believed it was so because of the Christ consciousness, the principle, not exactly the, the man. But anyway, this is why we are here in this center, because we believe we must be free from that dualism and dogma and superstition that is causing such a rift in the whole world, really. The Bible is a wonderful library of stories and poems and apocalyptic literature and allegories. But facts? Maybe not so much. Not so much. You know the unicorn is mentioned nine times in the Bible? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
It's also written in the, in the Bible that rabbits chew their cud. No, they don't. And what about dead tissue animating? Really? People dead for three days and then they all of a sudden reanimate? Nope. Even God cannot violate natural law in the physical world. And what about the ascension? God, Jesus just ascended. Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is 100,000 light years across. That means if Jesus ascended at the speed of light 2,000 years ago, he still has not left the Milky Way galaxy yet. Now, I can't imagine him floating around out there, you know? It's just sort of weird. Jesus, you know, it's like, not at heaven, not there, hasn't gotten there yet. Ernest Holmes said, think of Jesus as the way shower, a divinely inspired personality, a teacher of humans, a lover of humanity, a spiritual genius, the conscious knowledge of God which has impregnated the mind of the man Jesus. We think of as the Christ or the Christ consciousness. To worship a personality is idolatry. To believe God gave more of itself to this one man than to any other person is superstitious. To think the word of Jesus had the power to change the natural order of reality or refute natural laws is ignorance. And this is what Ernest Holmes has been teaching since he began his ministry back in the 19, late teens, early 20s. How many times do you think abortion is mentioned in the Bible? That's a big whole hot button, isn't it? Now, you'd probably think none, right? Because it's, you know, first century literature. Well, actually, abortion was mentioned once and only once in the Bible, and that was a priest telling a husband how to perform one. It's in numbers. Look it up. You'll find it. What was the large medical controversy of the first century peasants? When this teaching began, you know what the, the biggest <laughs> medical controversy was? Circumcision. Yep, that was the abortion issue of their time. <laughs> James, pro. He was absolutely pro-circumcision. You could not become a follower of the way. That's what they called Christians before we were called Christians. <laughs> before there was such a thing as Christianity, people who followed the teachings of Jesus were called followers of the way. Now... James was real pro-circumcision. You couldn't be a follower of the way unless you got circumcised. And you know, that might be a deal-breaker for a lot of adult men. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know. Right? Paul was, meh. He was, so, you know, either way, he didn't care. You could, you couldn't. He talked about being circumcised in his mind, you know. But it caused a huge rift in the followers of the way. And that's why you had these two teachers, that, two teachings that diverged, right? You have Paul and you have James. Well, Paul was light on circumcision, so he won out, right? So that's why most of the Christian Bible is really Paul's teachings. So really, we're not Christians, we're Paulists. Okay? But you can understand why, right? Oh, you know, the, all the Gentiles and, and Paul was saying, yeah, no, you don't have to. And they were like, we don't have to. Uh... Oh, okay, good, great. Whew then I'll go, <laughs> you know, then I'll go with you. 
Ernest Holmes said, we do not believe in devils or hell or purgatory or limbo. We don't believe God chose some people to reveal some things to and didn't to others because that is ridiculous. We believe in divine patterns, not divine plans. And in what religious science teaches, he goes on to say, shorn of dogmatism, freed from superstition, open at the top for greater illumination, unbound and unlimited, the science of mind offers the student of life the most understandable and intelligent approach the world has so far achieved. I believe that. I believe that. I resonate with that. The science of mind and spirit is my personal cosmology. And I think it's yours too because you're here. Mm. There are no sacred cows here. We are in an honest, open, courageous pursuit of truth to live the best life that we can, to transform our lives through this practical spirituality. It says it right up there on the banner, right? transforming lives through this practical spirituality. In order to live the best life we can, we practice the principles. God is all there is. There is only this one. We are all made of the same stuff. It's like fingers on a hand. One finger is not going to yell and scream and carry on and try to destroy the other finger. It's ridiculous. We're all one. We learn the principles which we practice to create change in our minds, then change in our lives, and we change others by our presence in it, right? We become, we become the lighthouses. We stand and we shine. We don't chase people down. We don't proselytize. We don't tell them they're wrong, we're right, that's it. <laughs> we stand in our truth and we shine our light and people are transformed around us. No dogma, no duality, no superstition, and no sacred cows. Thank you. Thank you for listening. At Vision Center for Spiritual Living, we transform lives through practical spirituality. We would love it if you support our vision. Please donate by texting 619-505-3359 or visit visioncsl.org.